Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by Mediafly, the Evolve selling company. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, research, community, and knowledge to drive your sales, content, and value enablement, capability, and maturity. My guest today is Rosalie Gerard. She is the Director of Business Value Engineering for the Unified Search, Analytics, and Machine Learning pioneer, Caveo. We're here to explore how she developed the value engineering practice that she leads and her incredible lessons learned evolvers. Please, a warm welcome for Rosalie Gerard. Hi, Tom. Well, thank you for having me. Awesome. It's great to have you here, Rosalie. I know that when you started working on your business value program at Caveo, you definitely wanted it to be different right from the start. Um, talk about some of the challenges that you noticed in how some of the other companies were, quote unquote, doing value. Yeah, of course. Um, so maybe it will help uh, to provide a little bit of background. So before I, I started working in, uh, in tech and in value selling at all, I was in a, a role of operational efficiencies in heavy industries. So we would work on projects and we would make sure that, you know, we prioritize the highest value project. We would implement them and we were, we would track them. So mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's nothing more tangible than really, you know, optimizing a mine and seeing more, more throughput, seeing the actual, you know, trucks getting more filled every day. So when I came to tech and, and were asked to, um, I was asked to build this business value practice. Um, I was, uh, I had a very um, little tolerance to, to fluff, I would say. Um, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we would build something tangible. Um, but also, I, I, I didn't know how it would, it was, you know, done in the industry. So I, I took a look at, you know, what other companies were doing. And um, just the name, right? I, I heard a lot of, you know, group called, you know, value selling. And I really realized quickly that this was, you know, a pre-sale function. We were, uh, expected to just you know build ROIs to support tech sales, um, so um, that was a good cue for me uh, when when I was building that practice. I really uh, knew from the the get go that I didn't want to do value selling. I wanted to do value consulting. Um, I, I wanted to build something that yes, we you know we we baseline customers pre sales. We take assumptions on where we could bring them, but most importantly, we 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 live with them and then we work through those assumptions with them over time. So we can you know, come back six months later, a year later, and really um, assess the success that they had. So really kind of a, a holistic view of value. Um, yeah, I so love the outside in approach that you took in that you, know, you were coming from outside the technology industry that you came to work in. Value to you in the manufacturing space was quite different and you almost took like a six sigma approach to it right yes absolutely so uh, i'm a i'm green belt uh, uh lean six sigma so definitely where we even incorporated some lean six sigma um, tools and methodologies in the way we're doing business value assessments at Caveo, where uh, we're doing some dilos so day in a life of d-i-l-o um that come from manufacturing where you would you know time the workers at each stations and really want to um, factor out all of the wasteful activities and only keep the value added time that is spent. We're doing the same thing with high tech companies and actually across industries we're working with right now. So a lot of, um, of Lean Six Sigma work that we're doing right now. 
And I do love that day in the life kind of activity-based costing approach because you get down to a level where it's not just a high level metric, right? You're actually um, getting down to a credible level of impact analysis yeah. and getting to that level of detail is not something that you get in, like you said, some of the things you saw that weren't credible that you looked at, like put in three numbers, press a button and get a 500% ROI, right? From a website. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, we, I mean, consultants, we have this reputation of, you know, asking somebody for their watch and just telling them what time it is, right? So mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to be this, uh, or to build this type of team where we would, you know, ask for their, our customers or our future customers for their data and put it in our easy model and then just, you know, spit something back for them. I wanted to bring value from the get-go. This is, you know, a pro bono service that we're doing, but at least let's help them uncover new data that they've never had access to and, you know, already bring value before they even, you know, purchase the technology we're selling. Absolutely. And Rosalie, one of the big things as well that you mentioned is, you know, the baseline pre-sales, but I think what's most important about what you've created is living and working through value over time with the customer and having it be much more, you know, customer success led and benchmark led than as a result. Talk about that aspect of the program or, or the life cycle approach of the program that you've taken. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really saw the customer success team as the only way to scale. If we want to do something at scale, if we want to do more value assessments and we want to talk value through the whole cycle, we can't have, you know, value engineers first work in pre-sale, but also accompanying those customers post-sale and always talking value. We had to enable the customer success organization to have this level of conversation. Um, also even pick up those accounts that we did not touch pre-sale, do a, a quick discovery to at least baseline so we can get more data um, as, as the customers mature with us over time. So that was really our go-to versus scaling through the sale organization. We actually stayed a um, well, an SME team with the sales organization. So everything BVA related pre-sale goes through us. There was no real self-service uh, tools built, but for post-sale, this is really where we, we, went, uh, we went all out. And you enabled the customer success folks to be able to do it without you assisting if they needed to, right? Absolutely. So the, the key part of, like, I would say what, what really differentiates the way that we built it versus other organizations that I heard of uh, is the amount of evidences that we have uh, of, of our customer success. So because we scaled very early with our customer success organization, we had them measure the progress of customers on the key value drivers that we wanted measured mm -hmm. very early on. So doing this really brought us more credibility pre-sale because when we are putting you know, improvement hypothesis with our customers, well, we, we don't have one or two customers who have achieved this, to use that example, we have 20 customers that have done this. And then we know exactly, oh, you are in X industry, but you are, um, you know, you have a, a, a small KCS program, for instance, or, or whatever, um, you know, external factor it is, but we have more and more metadata around the success of our customer that really allows us to be more accurate when we predict the success of our future customers. Excellent. So that evidence definitely helps with 
the current customers, but with prospects, you're leveraging that benchmark data as real proof points and being able to call out and call to those customers to point it out. I think, you know, trust in um, presenting a credible value approach is one of the biggest factors right now. You know, there's a decided lack of, of trust and uncertainty out there right now. And to me, I've, I've um, kind of gone back and remeasured, you know, what's the biggest deciding factor to when you want to um, say yes to a company and make a positive purchase decision. And it used to be that emotion was that big driver, you know, upset the status quo, challenger type approach. Well, we're already at amygdala overload now with all the uncertainty and doubt around COVID and the economy and everything else around it. So you need some emotion to, to spark change, but too much and you'll actually drive the customer away or drive them towards no decision and get them in possum mode. And logic only goes so far and is really used as justification for a decision. And trust is now by far the predominant factor, I think, in terms of why people make decisions. So your data-driven evidence approach definitely aligns with some of, some of that. Um, how do you present the evidence to the customers? Um, talk about some of the, the best ways that you're doing to collect that evidence and then some of the best practices that you're using to uh, present it in a credible way. Yeah, absolutely. And just if I can go back to your previous point about trust um, before I get to this, uh, I, I would say like, especially in, in the market that we're in, we're, we're uh, you know, in a relevance platform, we compete against other search tools. Uh, as soon as the business value team engages in a conversation, we have noticed that um, our other competitors that are coming up at third those same opportunities, they don't have a chance because the, the, the prospect or a future customer really sees us as a partner. Nobody else is willing to invest in this relationship that early and build, I mean, you know, building an ROI, back of the napkin ROI, everybody can do that. But who can really sit down with those customers, build a success plan, commit on it, and then, you know, build a relationship that early? Very little companies can do that. So that's really, that's interesting, the point about trust that you mentioned. Excellent. And then evidence to me, kind of presenting those benchmarks, presenting the success to back up the savings claims or, or business value claims that you're making. Talk about your best approach to do that or what you'd recommend other companies to do to, uh, to kind of fulfill that credibility and trust on the ROI numbers and the drivers. Mm -hmm. So credibility and trust around the ROI numbers. One thing that we noticed early on is we can't, so we're a relevance company, we do search. Um, we can't only measure the ROI of search because the best technology alone won't bring any value if it's not adopted the right way, if it's not implemented the right way. So one thing that we did very early on is we developed some critical success factor framework. So for each one of our use cases, we went above and beyond search. Um, we wanted to make sure we give our our prospects, our future customers, the right tools to actually accomplish this ROI. So then when we have the same conversation with this, the same company, you know, three years or, or five years later, we don't just, you know, point finger of on why you did not deliver on the ROI. It's more like we want to make sure that you're well equipped to, to deliver on those expectations. So that's really how we are. Uh, we are ensuring that we're, we're, we're covering kind of a 360 view of projects, not only search. I love that. And having those critical success factors is creating that partnership with the customer where you're saying, look, there's value to be had here. 
we've got these value proof points from these other companies, but this value doesn't happen by itself. There are critical success factors in how you implement it, deploy it, adopt it, leverage it, change your business that need to occur. And you're transparent about that. And it's a shared kind of workflow to make sure that that success is there. And that transparency, I think, and realization that there's risk in achieving these, I think that helps a lot. Do you you agree? Yeah. And and any stories on um, kind of before and after the critical success factors were introduced or or companies where you kind of had to mash them into saying, you know, where they came back and said, hey, we didn't get the benefits. And then you had to present the the success factors back at them. We actually have a customer who, when we built the business case for them, uh, they were really, really committed into this, uh, you know, business case uh, um, development. And uh, when we introduced the critical success factor, one of the the key critical success factor for them was going to be change management. Mm-hmm. And we really digged, you know, in, into this one and what they would need um, to make, uh, you know, to make happen to make sure that they would deliver on that ROI. And they even uh, went with our one of our partners that uh, an SI you know partner that also has a change management practice, and they decided to engage with them to make sure that um, they were well set up to deliver on that ROI. And now, I mean, it's it's a great success story because they they are already seeing a lot of adoption. So consequently, they're seeing a lot of, of results right now. Only after six months, they're in, and they're already expanding on more use cases. So um, we're we're really proud of that customer for really, uh, you know, putting the, putting the efforts needed to get there. Um, but yeah, it's not all, it's not all customers that are willing to um, engage, you know, that much resources to make their projects successful, but when they do, it really does yield. Yeah. I think Rosalie, so many are just looking for that silver bullet, right? Implement the technology and the value will come. And I yeah, think check the box. Yeah, exactly. Check the box. And I think you, um, you know, it's it's obvious and hopefully obvious to the uh, Evolver community as well that there's this culture of success that is throughout Caveo uh, where it's not just about value pre-sale or even value post-sale, but it's the whole motion of how they engage where they're wanting to make sure that no value gets stranded and having these critical success factors and recommending in partners to fill in the gaps and making sure that change and process improvement and use case dedication and adoption are all part of it. Uh, and then the value becomes kind of the measurement system of keeping score almost. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So one of the things is when I talk to other value leaders, and I know that you've implemented your program a little bit differently, but staffing and scaling are always kind of top of mind. How have you scaled your program because I know you're involved as you said you're involved in a lot of the pre-sales deals yeah. uh, on purpose right for value add um have you had trouble scaling that what deals do you get involved in don't get involved in and then how are you scaling with regard to staff and team members yeah with regards to staffing team members um it's interesting I was invited to a, um, a round table a couple of months ago organized by a uh, uh, ran from DocuSign, and then it was about the um, non-traditional hiring practices, and um, yeah, so it was really interesting. I was part of the roundtable, and, and I left that conversation with two pages of notes <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> about like a lot of things that I've learned uh, throughout the conversation. Um, we used to uh, have uh, well to hire a little bit more of 
people with, you know, consulting backgrounds and have them, you know, pitch a business case and a challenge. And, uh, and that's kind of how we, we used to work. Um, recently, we changed our hiring process. We basically, uh, we're asking our candidates to uh, conduct a discovery meeting hmm. on the interview. Um, because we really realized that what makes a very good value consultant is their curiosity, their ability to put the customer comfortable, to um, uh, create credibility, and eventually to uh, boil down those very complex financial concepts to have conversation with non-financial folks. Mm -hmm. So we have them conduct a discovery. We give them a couple data points as part of the discovery and we asked them to just send us you know a deck with um what they would present kind of an executive version four slides of what they would present and how they would uh, illustrate those complex financial concepts on a slide and so some of the softer skills are what you think need to be there as opposed to the heavy duty financial analytics kind of um, other having the value consulting experience it's much more the curiosity the discovery and the ability to simplify? Absolutely. We started uh, prioritizing what's not teachable, what's not coachable versus what's coachable. I mean, you can get better at doing models, but can you get more curious? Can you get more credible? Can you get more you know, uh, enthusiastic? I don't think so. So that's really what we're trying to see now and, and hire based on. And I know that you came at this from a non-traditional role, right? Which is probably why you enjoyed that conversation so much. And I think that the approach to, you know, it definitely is refreshing kind of seeing your perspective and also seeing how you evolve the program at Caveo. What are the non-traditional kind of roles that you're, you're recruiting from or seeing great candidates show up from? I would say the role doesn't really matter. I would say it's more the, the experiences um, I'm really looking for people who had the, the, the opportunity to, uh, to be customer facing, to put people comfortable, to, uh, to dig into problems. I'm looking for people who are able to, as I mentioned, boil down complicated financial um, conversations to have a conversation with uh, non-financial folks. And that's, that's the biggest skill I would say, because the, the best BVAs that we've ever done are not you know five or, or six or even ten pages models, right? It's it's really tough executive conversation that we had, and we created credibility. So that's all what it, it, it all comes down to that. Nice. Let's talk about the other part of that question, which is scale. And I know that you and your team are getting involved in, you said, every pre-sale deal where value is requested. Talk about some of the criteria for that without you know divulging any trade secrets for Caveo and <laughs> kind of, um, you know, how, how you're envisioning scale, because I know a lot of organizations want to get value in every deal and they're yeah. struggling to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, so pre-sale, we're mainly focused on our, our more strategic deals. So we have a threshold uh, in terms of ACV that we would get involved in or, you know, other deals that really require it or a deal that would require a business case to close so that we would, that's what we would prioritize. Um, we recently launched a new, uh, a new approach actually to BVA. It's, uh, we called it the strategic BVAs. Um, so that's the first time ever that we're using business value assessments as a lead generation engine. Hmm. So we, we get involved in our strategic accounts. 
Um, and then we actually uh, lead with business value assessments to uh, uncover new use cases. And our goal is basically to build a master value assessment for the account, including all of the use cases where we can prioritize based on value and efforts, all the use cases, so we can have a prioritized roadmap for our strategic customers. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll guide the expansion and just the whole partnering with the company, right? And, and it yeah. gets them um, visible on what maybe they should be working on first, second, or third. Yeah. I'm also seeing a lot where you not only have to have good numbers, but also make sure you're aligning with companies' business objectives. Are, are you able to get the companies to openly share their business objectives with you and also share the metrics that you need to kind of go and do some of this value assessment? And how yeah. do you overcome that if, if the companies may be skeptical of sharing so much with you? Because at the end of the day, they know you're a solution provider and you're there to sell. Yeah, no, definitely. So we come a little bit later in the sales cycle at the point where we have already established that trust and that relationship with the with the customers. Mm -hmm. um, quite honestly, I have never come across a, a time where the prospect or the customer was reluctant to share their business objectives or their metrics. Some metrics, sometimes it's sensitive and we obviously use, you know, some benchmarks we have internally our industry data. Um, but they're usually pretty interested to, uh, to collaborate on this effort. Once again, because it's not a business case or, or back of the napkin ROI we're doing here, we are building their success plan. So there's everything in it for them to share their real metrics, because this is what we're going to talk about six months down the line, a year down the line, even three years down the line, when we bet, when we go back and, you know, assess the progress that they've made and want to quantify it. So that's our, the way we approach it. And I agree with that. I think just changing some of the approach and nomenclature could help a lot there. If you're calling it a success plan or a strategic plan, as opposed to a business case to justify yes. our proposal, right? There's a big difference between those two things. So we have to kind of take off the selling hat, even though we're, we're doing a pre-sales business case and think of it as this mutual success plan that's kind of driven around value and it becomes kind of a, this outcome-based buying approach as opposed to a, a selling approach. Absolutely. And I would say I have seen uh, in the last three years uh, here at Kaveo, I have seen um, the persona of the buyer or, or the champion changing a lot. We used to be involved a little bit more on the IT side of things, but because of the nature of the activity we're doing when we're building those success plans, we need to have the business involved. We need to have uh, the, per the people we're going to work with, you know, after they purchase Caveo, they need to be part of that conversation because this is their success plan we're building. And I think by having them involved in the conversation, both in reactive BVAs, but also in the strategic BVAs that we're using, you know, for, for lead gen, um, it, it's key because they get things moving inside of companies when, when we get this success plan together. Awesome. Rosalie, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Evolvers community with today? I would say it's not about the amount of BVAs that you can do in a quarter or a year. It's really about the quality of BVAs that you can do and, and how they're going to yield. Um, that would be my first advice. My second advice would be to really leverage on the, the customer service or, or the customer success organization to scale this practice. Um, they are they care about value already. They, they're all there having those relationships with customers, um, very, very competent people. So this is really a good way to scale this practice in a very relevant and credible way. 
Yeah, and I'll add a third for you just on everything that you said, kind of create <laughs> culture of success yeah. um, and strategic plan around value instead of just thinking about it as you know a value selling practice. Agreed. I could not agree more. <laughs> awesome. Rosalie, how can people reach and find you online? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, we will share your LinkedIn address with the community in the meeting notes. And I encourage anyone that wants, you know, kind of to learn how to do things maybe a little bit different uh, to reach out to Rosalie and talk to her about her program. I know that she's uh, very willing to do that and, and provide advice and guidance and uh, just brainstorm with you maybe about a challenge that you're facing. Rosalie, thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom and insight and learning with the Evolvers community. Thank you, Sam, for having me. And Evolvers, as always, keep evolving. Remember to follow, to get show updates, and to like us as well. Until next time.